This episode of The Nurse Keith Show is sponsored by Tufts Medical Center. Hello, experienced OR nurses. Tufts Medical Center is offering a $10,000 sign-on bonus for your expertise. Tufts OR is a fast-paced, high-acuity, level-one trauma center that performs the full scope of adult and pediatric surgical specialties. Join the world-class OR team at Tufts to enjoy growth and development in your professional practice while being rewarded for your experience. Visit TuftsNurses.com to learn more. That's TuftsNurses.com to learn more. And I thank Tufts Medical Center for their generous support of The Nurse Keith Show. What can poetry accomplish on behalf of the nursing profession and teach us about ourselves, especially when a nurse is the poet? Let's explore poetic expressions in nursing with nurse poet and writer and actor Susan J. Faris, right here in episode 337 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always about you, your personal and professional development, your career, and the healthcare system in the bigger picture. And I'm always here to share education, ideas, and informative and entertaining interviews like today's with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, medicine, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride. Thanks from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being a part of this growing Nurse Keith Nation. And here's a very, 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 very special request. If you find value in this show and you enjoy it and listen regularly or irregularly, some of us are irregular, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith because creating over 350 episodes actually does incur a lot of costs and blood, sweat, and tears, of course, but actually mostly smiles and happiness. <laughs> and I'm asking 100 regular listeners to pledge $2 a month for a year. That's less than buying me a cup of coffee every month, although you could buy me a cup of coffee too. And there's not much caffeine in the show, but a lot of audio awesomeness. So you can always pledge more and get some great, awesome stuff in return from me and thanks to you for pledging. But $2 a month would also be amazing. So head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to sign up and show your support. And also you can show your support by emailing me at keith at nursekeith.com and scheduling a free console for holistic career coaching or life coaching if that's what you need. And if you mention Susan J. Faris or Poetic Expressions in Nursing, you'll get 15% off your first package rather than the usual 10%. Speaking of Susan, the show notes for this episode will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 337. Susan is a nurse poet and an author and so many more things. And Susan, we're going to get to your bio in due course and talk all about your life and career and poetry and writing and being an actor and all that kind of stuff. But my first question for you is, how did poetry become part of your life, especially vis-a-vis being a nurse? Okay. First of all, thanks for having me, Keith. Sure. So it was 1991. Okay. This was a long time ago. And I had seen the movie Awakenings with uh, Robin Williams, Williams. Robert De Niro. Right. Yeah. And there was a character in the movie. Her name was Lucy Fishman, I believe, or at least Lucy in in the IMDb, if you look it up. She was in a wheelchair and she caught a red ball and had a gaze about her 
that completely reminded me of my maternal grandmother, Anne, who had died 20 years before 1991, so 1971. And she suffered from early Alzheimer's and ultimately died institutionalized back then because there was not much information about Alzheimer's and not much we could do because of safety, et cetera. That character made me cry in the movie theater in 1991. And a couple of days later, I could not get to sleep. My husband was away on a business trip and a bath didn't work and a glass of wine didn't work. And so I grabbed a journal that he had given me the Christmas before, sat on the couch and reflected about this whole movie and my grandmother and a three-page poem, excuse me, poem, a three-page poem poured out of me that rhymed that was in sequence from childhood to 20 years later as a nurse reflecting on her loss. So basically poetry and this particular poem helped me cope with in a cathartic, therapeutic way to heal from her early loss. She was only 60 years old when she passed away. So she had Mm. Alzheimer's in her 50s. And so I was eight to 14 years old growing up with this grandmother who was my soulmate. Um, I called my mom the next day and read the poem to her. I was in Florida at the time. She was in New Jersey. And I said, Ma, can I read you a poem? Sure, sure, sure. So I read her the poem and she's crying and sobbing on the phone and saying, this is the closest thing to what we went through back then. I want you to share this poem with everybody. Hmm. So that was my mission. And this is 1991. And at that time, I was a nurse entrepreneur in the Florida area after getting out of military nursing and would get up at the Chamber of Commerce or any program that I might teach and say, can I read this poem for you guys? And the response was always extremely positive. People would start crying. They would want tissues. They would want to talk about their aunt or their mother or their spouse or someone close to them, either with dementia or with a problem that, you know, brought something to them in their heart to be able to share back to me. So I knew that I, I just had this thing. And, and by the way, when I was writing the poem that evening, I'm in the couch and I'm laughing and I'm crying and I'm just experiencing all this stuff. It was like a visceral feeling that I got writing the poem. And then when I got the response, I knew that poetry was just a mechanism to share stories that are deep inside, especially for nurses, because we have so many deep inside. Um, That's a long story short, (laughs) but that's that's how I got into poetry. It's a great story. And, you know, you and I were talking about what poems that you would read during the episode, Mm -hmm. and we chose three. However, in this moment, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking we would be doing you, the (laughs) listeners, your book, and your grandmother, an incredible disservice if you didn't read this poem. And I know it's one of the longer ones in the book, but I don't really care because we can just sit back and listen. So what's the name of this particular poem? The name is Anne's Zest Ends, E-N-D-S, Anne's Zest Ends. Anne's Zest Ends. Can you read that one for us, please? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Anne's Zest Ends. Prelude. Her zest for life, boundless energy, a smile a minute so full of glee, remembrances of my grandmother Anne, so significant to me. She ran the show, she was in the know about this or that, nonetheless always on the go. So sharp, so much fun, and so on the ball. How I long to remember and long to recall. Endless walks, sun or snow when I was small. She'd pick me up when my spirit would fall. My first real buddy, my first true friend, 
her ears and shoulders she'd always lend. If I was sad, my pain I'd spend, but always through her, my heart would mend. Intermission. But when I was about seven in 1963, something in her changed so drastically. She would no longer laugh. She no longer knew me. She would wander about so aimlessly. She would light the gas stove and let the fire run free. Her eyes then would gaze in a wild combat stare. She grew mute and confused. She would pick at her hair. Who was this new stranger taking over her mind? Where did her spirit go? What did it find? From doctor to doctor, this mystery grew. It was 1965 and still nobody knew. To a state institution eventually. Her spirit then faded each day, religiously. She grew steadily worse. It took six more long years. I would visit her with my mother. We would shed many tears. Day passes were draining. The public would stare. We'd assist her in the bathroom, comb the knots from her hair. I wonder how she felt personality withered. Did she realize her melt? Were her synapses in a blizzard? Finale. On the 13th of April, 1971, when the hospital called us, t'was the weight of a ton. She was terminally losing the battle and had wasted away, lost all faculties, not her choosing. She died soon after that day. But I reached for her hand at the bedside to say goodbye, friend, on that fateful day. And she mumbled and stared and connected. She mumbled as if to say, so long for now, Susan, for I'm afraid it's time to take my rest because Alzheimer's drained my life away. But at least you've inherited my zest. Reflections. 20 years later, I weep for the past. Fond memories of Anne, she left the good knife so fast. Her suffering, although it was an unfair curse, was the stimulus for me to become a nurse. As I seriously reflect on this draining disease that robs the brain of freedom cells and independence ease, I am angry no definite cause or cure has been found. All the research won't touch the pain that abounds. If I had just one wish that would be granted to me, I'd want to spend a day with Anne, just her and me. Her cheerful style, giving nature so gold. Her best feature, zest. Her stature, so bold. But who's kidding who? She was taken away in her prime. A true servant of God. Strong will. Lost mind. Signed, one who can still remember. Oh, that's beautiful. And there's a photo of her standing there with you and she has her arm yeah. around you and your arm around her and it says grandma Ann with susan early 1960s right so you were you look like you're about seven or so i think I, well maybe uh, younger not, i was actually well it was early 60s so it might have been yeah maybe five you six were or little. seven yeah somewhere you were around little. There. That's a beautiful poem. And my dad had very severe Alzheimer's. Um, two of his sisters oh. died from it. Um, he ostensibly died from it. So I think there's lots of people listening who either have lost loved ones to Alzheimer's and or dementia, or they've worked with patients with diseases like that, somewhere along that spectrum of those brain diseases, especially ones we see in the aging. And I'm curious. In your nursing career, you know, you've worked in military service, civilian nursing pra practice, management, education, training, researching, et cetera. Have you ever specifically worked directly with people with dementia? Yes, I have. Before you I have. became a nurse, before oh. I became a nurse, I was during the summer, I was a nurse's aide, basically, 
at a um, long-term uh, facility oh, really? uh, in New Jersey. And so this is right before I became a nurse. My dad knew someone that was one of the administrators and got me in. And that was one of the best situations I've ever had because hmm. I had to bathe them. I had to witness what dementia was like. I had to see how people that were other staff members treated people. Um, and because I came from my grandmother who was institutionalized, that was extremely helpful too, even though it was bittersweet and very hard to take. I guess I grew up before my time mm -hmm. realizing that this can happen to people. Um, as far as in my nursing career, I mostly did not take care of patients with Alzheimer's. I, I was, you know, med surge, ICU, recovery room, orthopedic surgery, lots of, you know, med surge adult situations, but not the elderly as much. Um, not that I can really think of at this time. Yeah. No, mostly well, well people. So it was that particular experience with me that bonded me to just care, care deeply about people who, who are caregivers for people with Alzheimer's too. Mm -hmm. um, it must be very, very tough, you know, if you have to repeat something over and over. In fact, there's a poem in the book that's called Caretaker, hmm. and it's like a, an ode to people that are caregiving. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's very tough. It, it is tough. And many of us have been through it or will be through it, <laughs> mm -hmm. or we've seen others go through it, or as, as nurses, as clinicians, as case managers, et cetera, we've witnessed the families suffering as they try to connect and communicate with their loved ones and their loved one feels like they're lost in the wilderness. Exactly. And I can speak from experience with that. And, you know, I have the genetic predisposition for it myself. So I'm doing everything in my power to stop the processes that could be contributing to my developing it because I would rather not actually. Um, I'm pushing 60 soon. So I am around the age now that your grandmother actually contracted and or developed the disease. So exactly. it kind of hits a little close to home because I'm I'm getting there, you know. And you and I, you and I both are writers. We both come from New Jersey. Um, my yes. dad was in New Jersey when he died. Oh. And we so we have some of those cultural underpinnings and we're both nurses now one of the things about you that's quite different from me is that you are actually an actor and <laughs> yes what what kind of acting have you done and has that been throughout your nursing career has it been a parallel course just like writing oh no 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 it's very serendipitous actually i i i was in drama you know club, I guess you could say, in high school in New Jersey, mm -hmm. and had a fantastic teacher who I could still remember with the flashlight with red to pace us and all that. So that was a great experience. And then in college, I did get the lead my freshman year in Blythe Spirit. So I, I loved acting in college early. Mm -hmm. And then when we started with all the nursing courses, I kind of put that away and didn't do anything. And then in my military career, I didn't do anything until I was stationed in Korea. Um, let's see, this was like 80, 84, 85, 1984-85. And I happened to call the uh, local community theater and I said, I heard you're doing Greece. Do you, do you need any help? And they said, 
uh, well, what do you do? I said, well, I took dance lessons. My mother was a dance teacher years and years ago. And they said, you're hired. We need a choreographer. So I choreographed Greece in Korea and it ended up touring um, several different countries and whatever. So a little snippet there in the military. And then I stopped again until I turned 50 when my daughter was doing a show, Annie, <laughs> in, when we were living in San Jose. And I was there with her for her audition. And they said, we need adults. <laughs> I said, are you kidding me? It's been like forever and ever. And I don't even have a resume. And they said, just sing a song. And I sang something from The Sound of Music. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I, I got the part of Mrs. Greer, the maid. And it was right. a heavy singing and dancing role, you know, a couple of lines here and there. That's so at right. 50, it brought me back. But ultimately, uh, several years later, with my daughter, who was um, in some films, and I watched the process of films and loved that, just watched how it all happened. Mm. I started auditioning in my mid-50s, and uh, we moved to Boston in 2007. And I was actually cast as a nurse in Ricky Gervais' The Invention of Lying oh. as Nurse 3, without lines, as a background actor, but with the first team. And that's how I got my SAG card. I got my Screen Actors Guild card in 2008, 2008 I believe it was, when the film came out. Fantastic. And because I had my nursing on my acting resume, that's what got me to play that nurse. Uh, it was fascinating, you know, and then I... Worked on things like Edge of Darkness, The Fighter, not, mm-hmm. a, not as a nurse all the time, but sometimes like Edge of Darkness, I played a nurse. Men of a certain age, I played a nurse, uh, you know, because I have the demeanor, I have the scrubs, you know, yeah. and, 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 and it worked out. So um, I love acting. I like bit parts. I don't need to have a lot of lines. Um, I love, I just love the process of being on set. Yeah. And uh, now that I live in San Diego now, um, most of the filming is done in L.A. and then on location. So I'm not as busy with the acting, but I've gotten into producing and casting and doing publicity for films as well. But I did I act read about that this That's past right. year. Yeah. I, 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 so I don't care what I do. I just love filmmaking. Um, and I would like to direct sometimes yeah. in the near future as well. That's a great story and trajectory. And for anyone listening who perhaps is younger, maybe a nurse in their 20s or 30s, and they're thinking, oh, you know, um, I have all these things I love, but, you know, they're not related to what I do as a nurse, quote unquote. And, you know, I just want your life and what you're describing here to be an object lesson. You know, having nurse on your acting resume showed that you could actually portray a nurse and it ended, you ended up in a film by Ricky Gervais. So I'm just saying, and (laughs) you, you, while you were in Korea and you were a military nurse, you got this gig doing the choreography for Greece, right? Right. So you were a nurse at the time. And then you took a long pause. Like I've taken pauses doing visual art, long pauses. Mm -hmm. You took a long pause. And then in your fifties, you ended up like through Ricky Gervais and that experience, getting your SAG card, Screen Actors Guild. And you also have transformed that or taken that experience and created your own um, uh, company, SJF Communications, which is public relations for, you know, theaters, musicians, authors, businesses, you know, all the different stuff that you do. So I just want your, your life to be this example of a nurse who can be a true polymath. And I've talked about polymathism a lot. Yes. People who, 
who not only dabble, but could become relatively expert in a lot of different things that they love. And I think it's a beautiful story of first your grandmother having this impact on you and then working with people with dementia as a teenager before you were a nurse, as a young person, Mm -hmm. and then all these different things and worlds that you've moved in and continue to move in. And so you're an example of one of these people who feels like, oh, life isn't over because I'm 50 or 60 or whatever. I can find the things I love. So what question I want to ask you is, before we take a break, what is it in you or quality or characteristic in you that makes you willing to just say, hey, this is something I love. I'm just going to do it. (laughs) You're going to like this one. Good. I have chutzpah, (laughs) right? Says the girl (laughs) from Jersey to the boy from Jersey. Exactly. I have nerve. I Mm -hmm. like to motivate others. I like to teach others. I like to... I absolutely passion of mine is being creative. So whether it, and I'm a nature photographer, I'm a bird watcher. I mean, I have to be creative in some way. Um, So that's basically it. I try, I don't know. I get a feeling, I get an instinct, I get an inspiration or an intuition, definitely Mm -hmm. intuition. And if it interests me, I learn about it. I I am a lifelong learner. So that's Mm -hmm. number one. And then I try to, I don't necessarily need to master it, but I try it. And sometimes I'm fortunate and sometimes it's like not for me, but I don't give up. And I, I don't know. The other thing that is consistent in my life is change Hmm. because in the military, I've moved several times because that's the culture of the military with nursing, you know, you're at different duty stations and such. So I moved quite a bit then. And then when I met my husband, who's a corporate executive, we moved and relocated based on his job positions and usually East and West Coast. So I've lived in several different states as well as several different countries. I think that's fortunate for me as well to be, I guess, exposed to a diverse type of populations, working with men in the military. Um, I don't know. I've got, I've got nerve. I've got nerve and I have experience with change, uh, different kinds of people, different geographic locations, et cetera. Um, So nothing stops me um, except for maybe doing things like hang gliding or, you know, bungee jumping. I don't, I don't do risks like that, but I'd rather speak to a a group of a thousand people. That would be okay. (laughs) You're a different kind of risk taker. So the, (laughs) That's that's a great answer. The short answer is chutzpah, <laughs> and then you you uh, expounded upon that. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk more about poetry and about the book Poetic Expressions in Nursing: Sharing the Caring, which was published this year in 2021, and just kind of just shoot the breeze together a little bit more about creativity and life and how we create the lives we want as nurses and professionals, even if it's doing other stuff at the same time. So we'll be right back with the second half of episode 337 of The Nurse Keith Show. 
So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. I have an important message from our generous sponsors at Tufts Medical Center, which I'll add parenthetically, is located in the glorious city of Boston, Massachusetts, where a number of my beloved family members and dear friends, and admittedly a piece of my heart, happily reside. Tufts is a world-class healthcare organization with world-class nurses. Tufts is growing, and they're looking for excellent nurses to be a part of their future. You'll find rewarding nursing opportunities in many advanced care settings, such as critical care, med surge, and OR, where you can practice alongside other expert professional nurses. Not only is Tufts MC one of the nation's most prominent academic medical centers, it's also a place where your voice as a nurse will be heard and appreciated. Isn't it time to bring your expertise to Tufts Medical Center, where you'll be valued for your input and respected for your knowledge? Nurse recruiters are waiting to talk to you about their immediate openings in critical care, med surge, and OR. Visit tuftsnurses.com to get started. That's tuftsnurses.com to take your nursing career to the highest level. And I thank Tufts Medical Center for their generous support of the Nurse Keith Show. Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other listeners who value the show so much that they're willing to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. And now in 2021, I am making a special request for 100 regular listeners, that's you, to pledge $2 a month for a year to help support the show and keep things moving along. $2 a month is less than buying me a cup of coffee every month, and you're going to get some great audio awesomeness in return for your generous support. So head over to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash Nurse Keith to show your support for The Nurse Keith Show. And finally, if you know someone who could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit. So you can keep it in your proverbial back pocket until you need it most. And remember, you can refer as many people as you like and continue to accrue those coaching credits, which I think is an amazing deal. Those are my sincere asks of you, and I want to thank once again Tufts Medical Center for their generous support. So now let's dig back into today's topic. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. Please remember the show notes are located at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 337. I hope you go over there, read all about Susan, and purchase a copy of her book, Poetic Expressions in Nursing, Sharing the Caring. So we're here again with friend of the pod and my new friend, fellow, well, Jersey girl and this Jersey boy (laughs) hanging out together on the microphone. Susan, prior to the break, we shared that first poem, the one that started the whole process. And we talked about acting and creativity and having chutzpah, which is a great thing to have. And if you don't know what chutzpah is, just think about just the the gall to do whatever it is you want, pretty much. Exactly. <laughs> and say, say, um, you know, say, forget it to the naysayers who tell you you can't do something. And Susan, you and I are probably similar in that when someone tells us we can't do something, we usually go do it. Are you? Yeah. 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 
you so, are right there. Yep. And yeah, that might not have to be solely with being born in New Jersey, but I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> so what exit? No. Yeah, but that's what exit. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the first thing is that this book didn't just come out in 2021. I misspoke. It sounds like it came out once before, and this is the second edition. So when did it first see the light of day? I first saw the light of day in 1993, mm-hmm. um, because after Anne's Zest Ends, I continued to write more poetry. And yeah. I had enough, you know, I never really sought out to write a book, but it evolved. With, with, like many things in my life, it evolved. So I f- had found a nurse-owned publishing company back in 93 and had it published. And I used to do a lot of uh, program, like continuing education programs, and I would sell the book there and that, hmm. that kind of thing. And then again, life happened. I became a mom a little bit later in life. And, and then the pandemic hit last year. And I noticed because I'm not clinical at this time, but I've noticed how much stress and burnout and depression and angst that nurses are going through that have taken care of the patients. And that's what stimulated me. Hey, I'm going to put a second edition in. And I added some haiku and some nature photography um, and the forward or my author's note from 93, as well as a new one in 2021 because I just feel so strongly for the nursing profession and what they're going through right now. Um, and that's basically why I did this edition, mm. the second edition in 2021. Very nice. Very nice. And you, your, your last name is Fariz, F-A-R-E-S-E. And having had an Italian stepfather from New Jersey, I, uh, I saw it and I was like, oh, Ferese. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, he taught me how to, you know, twirl my spaghetti on the spoon. So, you know, I, I learned a lot of Italian things as a Jewish boy growing up in New Jersey. So <laughs> what's the origin of your hmm. name? Is that your, your married name or how? It is. It yeah? is. And the story is I'm, I'm half Polish and half Italian Sicilian. Okay. Hmm. So that's an interesting combination from New yeah. Jersey. And so my name is Susan Joy. Denise Felice Farise. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> Felice Farise. Right. So my maiden name is Felice, happy. happy. And I Felice. married a guy named Farise. And we don't know. <laughs> it just happens to rhyme. And Denise yeah. was my confirmation name. So my name was Susan Joy, Denise Felice. And it's Farise now. And some so you're people, the Felice Farise. You're the happy Fel- Farise. I'm the happy Farise, yeah. yes. Not to and be he- confused with diaphoresis. <laughs> Right, no, 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 diaper. Although no. right now I, I'm a little sweaty because it's uh, so hot here today. But right. um, but not because I'm nervous with you, Keith. Uh, this is this is very smooth. Uh, but yeah, so my my name rhymes. I'm a poet, and it all it all makes sense to me. Doesn't makes it? me it makes me you know laugh a little bit just knowing That's that I'm great. a happy Felice Paris. Yeah, you are happy. <laughs> you're a happy Felice. Yeah, <laughs> right. So I would love for you to read another poem. We've picked out several more. I'd like to pepper the second half with a few more poems. So we had mentioned one called The Night Shift, which mm-hmm. I bet there's a nurse out there somewhere mm-hmm. listening who might be able to relate. I don't know. Maybe. Um, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so if you could, you could read us The Night Shift, that would be a real joy. Oh, I'd be happy to. Worked many night shifts. <clears throat> All right. So Night Shift. Night Shift so dear to me despite its circadian disruption. The nocturnal rhythms sublime, so inviting, so relaxing. 
making rounds with flashlight in hand and night vision intuition, the serenity envelops me. Side rails up, call bells within reach, bedsides tidy, breathing in sequence, snores and noises, unspeakable during prime time, status quo during night shift. Gentle and peaceful, those who by day lurk and cry and pester, and now between midnight and seven are compliant and yearn for peace as well. Alas, time to review and verify and stuff and thin the charts, time to read the progress notes, finally a time to put it all together, like spies looking through the clues of their lives. And if one is truly lucky, there are some chosen patients who decide it is time during night shift to ventilate, truly share, opening up the dam of their fears, thoughts, feelings, even sharing stories, enhancing our knowing. Oh, please, I yearn for these nights when the nature of nursing facilitates the connection of lives. Hmm. Very nice. That's lovely. And and I bet someone out there can relate to that, that certain quietness that happens during the night shift and this slight increase or sometimes very um, significant increase in spaciousness. Mm. And some night shift nurses I talk to who do get tired and, you know, it's a little hard on them, but they also enjoy that. And they enjoy that there aren't interns and fellows and nursing students and visitors and, you know, things, there's not as many things being ordered because exactly. it's, it's downtime. So some nurses really, really thrive on the night shift. Mm-hmm. They really love mm-hmm. it. So did mm-hmm. you love it? I did. I mm-hmm. worked many and it did, it did mess me up a little bit with circadian rhythm, Sure. but, um, and now this poem also was written in 1993 or during that time. So night shift might've changed by now. I haven't been there in a while, Yeah. Um, but I did like the quiet of it. And I like putting things together and thinking about the patients because during the hustle bustle of day shift, you don't have much time, or at least back then it was just busy. It was right. busy. It was loud. It was, you know, just, you know, so night shift was more calming and it was, it was the other intellectual part of me that put my thinking cap on and would read the progress notes and go, ah, things that you might've missed on day shift about what the doctors wanted right. to plan for them or, you just or didn't whatever. Have time. Didn't have time. You're and time. you're always charting. And yeah. back then we hand wrote, hand wrote all of our notes. We didn't have any, any computerized stuff at all. Right. So you had to thin 90s. the charts actually. Absolutely. You know, physically. Absolutely. And some of us physically. remember paper charts. Some of us don't. And for some of us, it's a nice memory <laughs> for many right, of us. So, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's not as relevant this in this day and age. Maybe I should go on a couple of night shifts and just observe what nurses are doing now and write another poem about what they're doing on night shifts. Yeah, and how, how they have to be glued <laughs> to the computer and you exactly. know, do things that they didn't used to have to do. Right. So you have you have another poem about the connection between the nurse, the spouse, and the patient. Mm. Yes. And it's called Spousal Intuition. Could you read us that one too? Sure, sure. Thank you. Spousal Intuition. And this is a true story, by the way. Okay. The, the, I mean, some of the elements might be a little different, but this is also from the 1990s. Mm-hmm. The ICU 12-hour shift almost through at 5.10 p.m. that day. Mr. H was transferred to our haven, confused, impending doom, in disarray. His charge nurse gave a quickened transfer report. They couldn't define what was wrong. He was just so different after the x-ray. He'll be sent via bed now. So long. 
Within minutes five, he and bed did arrive, then vitals O2, IV, and leads. His life traveled downhill, shallow resps, tacky pulse, low BP, O2 sat down indeed. Sitting upright so ashen, he said, I'm not breathing well. I'm so thirsty, nurse. Can I have a drink? Please call my wife. Am I going to die? Then the monitor alarms wailed in sync. He grew grayer in bigeminy, coughed frothy sputum and stared. He trusted this was his last life's sale. We bolused with Lasix and lidocaine, did what we could to no avail. Sadly, he coded at 525, enveloped in VTAC and fib rhythms. Despite ACLS, our team efforts had failed. Then when everyone left, I stayed with him. We notified his wife, an invalid homebound. Her aide brought her in for the viewing. He asked for you at the end, I explained. She sighed, hugged me, cried, some renewing. But what was so coincidental, her home health aide said, was that at 5.15 at home, Mrs. H was awakened by a dream while in bed. She sat up, yelled, my husband, and moaned. And so I must tell you to listen actively to our patients who tell us a story. Believe in what they're telling us. Believe them, for they know the glory. Take heed in their words and intuition. Our mission's to save them above all odds. But sometimes they have a strong, eerie vision for the ultimate visit with their gods. Mm. Wow, right. That, that notion that the patient often knows and the spouse sometimes knows. And because we don't see the objective data at first, we wonder, you know, is this just their is this their fear speaking for instance right, right? so listening right. this is all about listening isn't it listening connecting um validating your feelings too when you get an intuition as a nurse mm. you know if something's not right and there is another poem called intuition in the book which mm. <laughs> is one of my favorites too but i trust my intuition i value my intuition and i know nurses have intuition in their gut feelings and so trust it and if something is not right, discuss it with whoever on your team needs to be notified. Don't give up on your intuition. Well, since you mentioned it, I think we need to throw in <laughs> Are intuition. We going there? <laughs> We're going there because We're going there. how can we tease the audience and then have you not read the poem? That that would be so terribly unfair. Oh my God. So please read us intuition. It's a short one. It's a short and one. And I think a lot of nurses will relate to this. Absolutely. Intuition. Please respect your intuition and acknowledge every hunch, for you will find most certainly this preference is worth a bunch. It's that cozy yet dangerous gut feeling that appears every now and then. You cannot explain this phenomenon. You just know what will happen and when. It may be a look in a person's eye or a sense of impending doom, predicting endless possibilities. It's the aura inside a room. Whatever this is, be wary and wise. Don't cast it aside and ignore it. If you're gifted with intuition, my friend, sit back, just relax, and adore it. Nice one. That's that's short and sweet and very, very much to the point. I love um, it's the aura inside a room. Mm-hmm. And a lot of nurses can relate to this sense some people call it their spidey sense, right? Yeah, right? Their nurse's spidey sense. You walk in a room and something is amiss or something's happening. You just mm-hmm. know it. And again, like we said, after spousal intuition, there's no objective data yet. 
And a physician or another person might not get it and they may dismiss what you have to say, but you just know something's about to happen. Absolutely. And I bet there's somebody out there screaming at the their phone right now <laughs> saying, or their computer saying, yes, yes, it happened just yesterday. Exactly. So I have a feeling, Ms. Farise, that you're speaking from experience, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and it's another thing with intuition is when there's a, when there's a marital couple, Mm-hmm. I remember just growing, growing up through the years, I can sense when something's not right with, with some, with a couple that I know, you mm-hmm. know, and then they get divorced. Something's mm-hmm. up. Um, I use it. I just use it to guide me um, to pursue opportunities too. I just get a good feeling, you know, I'm going to put in for this role, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to choreograph grief, Greece and Korea. Well, that was like, okay, I'll help. What? Right. <laughs> and we had, we had six weeks to teach people this show that yeah. was touring all over. Um, oh, by the way, with intuition, the reason I value it also is because I am a Myers-Briggs uh, consultant, or I have been a consultant with the oh. Myers-Briggs type indicator. So my type is an ENTP, which mm-hmm. is extremely entrepreneurial and creative. So when, when I had that done, and I didn't, we didn't even discuss this, but I value my intuition because when I took that course, I thought, oh, you mean there's other people like me that, that value this and that are creative and that don't fit in a box that aren't the typical military type or the typical nurse type. So I learned to value what my gifts were uh, being a little bit different in nursing and in the military and in mm-hmm. life and as an older mom and like uh, so many things. So I think the lesson is to value what gifts you have, no matter what, mm-hmm. like, like yourself. Yeah, I, that's, um, that's wonderful. And you may or may not have heard of my friend, Caroline Cardenas, who's been on the show, and she lived in San Diego until just three weeks ago. She now lives on Kauai, just saying. But she was known mm-hmm. as the hula hoop girl in San Diego, and she would do hula hoop dancing and teaching at Wind and Sea Beach in La Jolla. Oh, and, I know where that is. Yeah. yeah and she actually wrote her master's thesis on the use of hula hooping for, in terms of a play for the, the recovery from burnout in nurses. Awesome. And now she's writing a dissertation at Meridian University in California about play as it relates to compassion fatigue and burnout in nurses. So mm. she has embraced that part of herself, which some people would say, what does that have to do with anything about nursing or medicine or healthcare or nurses' lives? And here you are, an actor and a poet. And then there's Teresa Brown, who has written extensively many beautiful books and also written for the New York Times. Right. Or there's recently the Dr. Michelle Harper, who was on my show, who wrote a beautiful memoir called The Beauty and Breaking about being a nurse. I mean, sorry, about being a physician, an ED physician in Philadelphia and many other places, but talking about her yoga practice and her Mm -hmm. history of childhood abuse growing up in a violent, violent household. So there's plenty Mm. of ways that 
nurses bring forward their creative thinking in the ways in which they see the world or see their lives or the lives of others in context. And I see in you this, this person who is a true polymath and creative, and you haven't been afraid just to do things and right. to embrace new things, even while you were working as a nurse, not necessarily when you're no longer a clinician. You did a lot of these things while you were actually working. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what's one of the secrets to allowing oneself to, to sink into and embrace something that you love other than chutzpah? What's another secret ingredient that makes you able to to just do these things that move you? Uh, to feel fulfilled, to feel purpose, to feel your values are clarified. Things like that. Um, I, I tap danced yesterday after not tap dancing in five years with, a, with an instructor that I had uh, when I lived somewhere else. Let's see, San Jose. Hmm. I hadn't seen him in many, many years. And it was just like yesterday. And I got up and I'm sore today up here in the shoulders, but not too bad in the knees. And mm -hmm. I was, the heart rate went up. I, I was a little afraid. I'm like, yeah. I, I'm a little older now, <laughs> but I'm going to do it. I just do it. And then if I, if some things go well and some don't, but if yeah. you don't try, you'll never know. Mm-hmm. You know, so you, you never know. So you tap danced yesterday. <laughs> I did. Well, I took, to, I took dance lessons from up until age, whatever, 13. My mom was a dance teacher mm -hmm. in New Jersey and I took from her protege and I gave it up when we moved right around when my grandmother was having a lot of problems with her health, you know, with Alzheimer's. And so I always kept the rhythm of dance, you know, maybe not the technical ability, but mm -hmm. I love tap and I love rhythm. And mm -hmm. so it felt really good yesterday to, um, to tap again. That's, yeah. that's so lovely. My, yeah. my mom was a Juilliard trained classical pianist and jazz pianist and lived in New Jersey almost her entire life, actually. And she grew up as a young woman in New York City, going to Juilliard and music and art high. And you two would have loved each other. And wow. she loved tap dancing and dancing. Did she? Yeah. And yeah. She, she grew up learning all of those things. And there's, there's something so fun in that ability to be able to move one's body. And I'm sure right. there are nurses out there who love to dance, whether it's, I did a little swing dance with a friend the mm -hmm. other night um, here in Santa Fe. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who do yoga or dance or, or uh, Pilates or whatever it is they happen to do. Maybe there's nurses out there who mm -hmm. surf, right? Who live near you yep. in San Diego. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really matter in a way what you do as long as it touches something in you and fulfills something, right? And possibly others too, besides just touching you. Oh, touches um, other people who Touches other who people as well. You. Yeah, yeah. I see. You know, connects, moves, motivates. Yeah. People, yeah. yeah, people say that to me all the time. Wow, you're amazing. You've done this and that and that. Well, well why not? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> try it. <laughs> don't stay, don't stay glum. Don't stay glum. Don't stay in the same place. Mm -hmm. But I think the fact that I had to move and change locations so much made me treasure change and just be an advocate for change. And change is very tough for a lot of people. Yeah. And especially in nursing, so many people stay in the same jobs and the same positions for many years, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. And I value that as well. 
Yes. But if you're stuck, okay, here's another story if we have time. Do we have a little it. bit of time? One more story. Yep. In my very first job as a Navy nurse, I was Navy before I was Army. I was working in general medicine and it was an open bay board with at least 30 patients, you know, both sides of the thing. Lots. And it was a general male medicine ward. And we had a lot of death. And I was 21, 22 years, 22, I guess, years old back then in the late 1970s. And I guess I, I guess I was burned out in my first job, but I didn't know it. And one day, one of the supervisors came to make rounds and she said, by the end of the day, I need you to tell me where you want to work when you come back and how much leave or vacation you're going to take. And I looked at her like, what? She recognized burnout in me mm-hmm. when I couldn't express it myself. But I was very young handling people that had, you know, sad diagnoses. And we did have several deaths in that uh, unit over and over. And I could not handle it. Uh-huh. I was not mature enough developmentally. Yes. Even though we have the smarts and we can do our nursing degree, sometimes we just are not ready to developmentally handle some of the emotional things that we have to deal with. And so that taught me a lesson about burnout and about if you're stressed, tell someone, go for help. Um, And that's why this book means a lot to me this year because of the pandemic and how much burnout nurses are going through. In fact, there's a new book coming out by Cassie Alexander who is a mm-hmm. nurse, but she's also a recognized author. It's called The Year of the Nurse. It's about the pandemic in 2020. Mm. And it's coming out, I believe, this week. We're on Twitter together. I think she's... Uh, I was I'd love look. for you to introduce me to her. I will. I will. Be I'd great. love for you to have her on because we she's will. amazing. We yeah. will. Okay. Well, thanks. thanks for sharing that. And as an aside, I just want to say, if you've been a nurse in both the Army and Navy... Do you have to sit at the 50-yard line when you go to the Army-Navy game? Because you like have one foot in both camps? Oh, my goodness. What, what do you a question. Do? I'm going to just bypass that one. I know. It is kind of strange. Just yeah. kidding. But I, I was in the Navy for three years and then in the Army for nine, nine plus years. So it's like about 13 total. Um, wow. And yeah. <laughs> so. that's, that's great. Now, before we go, and I really don't want to, because you are so delightful and so wonderful and inspiring. And I think Thank there's a you. lot more to, to say, and we'll have to just have you back. Just That's just what we're going to have to do. Let's do one more poem. Oh, okay. And I love that you and I are from New Jersey. We both say poem. I love that. <laughs> what, do, what do other people say? Poem or something? Poem, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, poem. No. Jersey, you know, coffee talk, poem. (laughs) Coffee talk, poem. We're going to do, or you're going to read, and we're going to listen to Nurses Unite. I think this is a good place to, to wrap up. Sounds great. Sounds great. Nurses Unite. Let's show the world in all this entirety our uniqueness, our strength. Let's proclaim our vision and lifetime mission to foster health and wellness on the reality continuum. Let's boast that it is us who can reform health with our own body of knowledge, identity, empowerment, and self-governance. We are not the handmaidens, battle axes, angels of mercy, or playthings as portrayed on the latest greeting card or daytime soap opera or evening sitcom. I dare us to show the world the unparalleled significant differences we've made in leaps and bounds for years and years. Let's share our compassion, empathy, humor, innovation, how we love life and support each other. Nurses, I dare us to unite. 
That's wonderful. And it's a poem with less rhyming and reads in some ways like a like um a statement, like an essay, like um like a real just putting out this this clarion call to nurses. It is a clarion call to nurses. And yeah. you know, I've seen now after the pandemic too that there are some nurses that are very political, very, you know, very polarized, mm-hmm. advocates, powerful. Let's get some of these things out there in the press. I mean, I'm I'm definitely an advocate of nurses writing for the press, nurses being on boards. <clears throat> nurses being on television shows as medical technical advisors, that kind of thing. We have a lot to say. We've seen a lot in our years. We so have. S- we should celebrate it and let the world know. But it's up to us to let the world know that we can have a voice. We definitely That's can true. have a voice. Yeah, and we're not handmaidens, battle axes, angels of mercy, playthings. And I've even written and done a podcast recently about heroes because that that term mm-hmm. hero has started to bother me and a lot of nurses wince at it and i did a podcast just a few episodes ago about the nurse warrior because mm-hmm. i feel like warrior says a lot more than hero and hero feels actually somewhat dehumanizing mm-hmm. because we're not angels or heroes we're actual human fallible human beings exactly mm-hmm. and this poem actually really speaks to me in that respect that we're not those labels that people have put on us. Well, I, I used to do a continuing education program about the image of nursing. Oh. Uh, and that was for Sigma Theta Tau in the 19, like 97, I believe it was, 96, 97. And this, is, this, is, this poem is from 1993, again. Mm-hmm. So it's 2021. And if you turn the television on, we still don't see nurses portrayed in a professional light most of the time. Uh, or they're, or they, or we see them pulling a stretcher, but not their faces, just their, you know, just their scrubs or whatever. We need to be visible. That's true. Visibility. That's true. And the work you're doing is great in PR and actually being out there on social media and talking about the work you do, writing poetry and sharing, you know, poetic expressions and nursing, sharing the caring is the book first published in 93 now republished in 2021 with a new introduction and forward by the author, Susan J. Faris. And it's really lovely to have you here. I'm so glad you reached out to me and I'm so glad we now have this connection and you're now connected with my tribe and audience out there in Absolutely. the Nurse Keith Nation ethers. So Susan... <laughs> It's been such a pleasure. You're so wonderful and inspiring. And Thanks. I look forward to seeing you in person someday. And just thank you for bringing to the world what you have brought, what you are bringing, and I'm sure what you're going to bring. So thank you so much for all of it. Thank you. And, and Keith, thanks for what you do for nurses. I mean, you're extremely inspiring. And here's one quote from one of my poems. When it's all said and done, there's no profession as diverse as the art and the science of being a nurse. So true. So true, Susan. And people can find you at sjfcommunications.com. We'll have links for the book so people can purchase it and buy gifts for their colleagues. Hint, hint. You're also (laughs) on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll have links to all of that. So thank you so much, darling. Thank you so much, Jersey boy. (laughs) (laughs) Take care, Keith. It was really a pleasure.
Thank you. Well, there you have it from this Jersey boy having this, that Jersey girl, Susan J. Ferris on the show. <laughs> Remember the show notes would be at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 337. And remember, if you contact me at keith at nursekeith.com and you want some career coaching, we can have a complimentary call. And then if you mention Susan J. Ferris, or even just say the word poetic expressions or whatever you like about Susan in this show, get 15% off your first coaching package instead of the usual 10. And please consider becoming a patron of the podcast at patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith. $2 a month for a year would be really awesome. So please consider doing me the honor. The Nurse Keith Show, speaking of an honor, is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. And we are adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting. And Mark Cappiespeason is our stalwart social media ringmaster. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And the amazing, inimitable Susan J. Faris saying arrivederci from... San Diego. (laughs) San Diego, California. Thank you, Susan. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we will catch you on the flip side.